Well, good morning again, everybody, uh, as I know that uh, we are so excited that you are here with us this morning. We um, have the opportunity to continue in our uh, second week of our Advent series. And so for those of you that are just joining us, or maybe it's your first time here, maybe you weren't here with us last week, uh, we just want to start off with recognizing that you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you walk into this room. And, and that's not just something that we say for those of you who've been here for a while. Yeah, we say that, but the truth of the matter is it's absolutely accurate. And so none of you are here by accident this morning. None of you that might be listening online later are, are listening by accident at whatever time you're listening. But we believe that uh, here at our church that we want to continue to be people that are plugged in to the people and the purpose of the church, that we are changed by God. We're not perfect people, but we are changed by God to make a change in this world, that we are people who have been called to be witnesses to who God is, to what he's done, to how he loves. And like our church initials, PCC, we are plugged in, changed by a call to, and it's hopefully easy to remember because of those initials, and it's hopefully the call of our lives as a church to continue to live that out as we have for the past 50 years. And so we are so grateful that you're with us this morning, and, and we are in, again, a series called The Herald that's called a sign that something is about to happen, which is the definition of the word herald. And it's based off of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. So it's on the screen for you. It says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And so we're going to be studying those different names. Uh, we started last week. We're going to continue for the next few weeks. Last week, we talked about God or Jesus being our wonderful counselor, and we had our main point was that there were two ways that Jesus is our wonderful counselor, but there's only one way he knows how to do it, and that's wonderfully. This idea that he's a counselor because he's an advisor, which was the Old Testament idea, and that we also recognize that he was an advocate, which comes from 1 John 2, the idea that he advocates for us before the Father. And he does so wonderfully because the word wonderful just means beyond understanding. And his love for us, the way that he's lived his perfect life and then died a horrible death, but rise to new life so we may have new life is beyond our understanding. It is wonderful. And so this morning, we're going to dive into Jesus being mighty God. And so if you will join me one more time in a word of prayer as we dive into God's word together. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for each and every person that is here in this room and each and every person that is listening online later. Lord, we are grateful for your love for us. And we are grateful for the opportunity to dive into your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us exactly what you want us to hear. So Lord, I pray that as we dive in, I would decrease, that you would increase. Again, that you would just speak powerfully and personally and with great impact to each and every person here on, that's here or each and every person that's online, Lord. Thank you that each person that hears these words is someone who is loved by you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, this is your opinion. Who is Jesus? See, now, see, now you won't start trouble. It's a myth created by man in order to control society. I don't, I don't consider Jesus my savior or my spiritual leader. He is a spiritual leader and right. one of the spiritual leaders I learned from. Who is Jesus, in Who your opinion? Who was he? 
Who was Who he? Who was he? Was a man. He was a man. Okay. Absolutely. Your opinion. Jesus is my opinion. Yeah. He's everything around here. He's spiritual. Everything. Earth. Water. Fire. Everything. Jesus is all that's good. All the things that are positive and affirmative in life. Uh, that's Jesus. I believe he's a higher power in the form of a man. Everyone else walking around, there's not another Jesus. There's just one. So yeah, I believe he definitely did something. Yeah, uh, like on Jesus like, is not a person. He's not a person. Okay. Okay. So do you believe he was a man, or just like some higher power, or? No, I don't believe in. Don't believe he even no. existed. No. Okay. No. Jesus is um, our savior. Jesus is everything. He's the reason why we live. He's the reason why um, we get to do the things that we do in life. He's my heart and he's what I speak through my poetry, through my work, through my everyday life. That's Jesus. So we watched that video, and that video was filmed a few years ago in South Florida, but the truth is, is that many of the answers that we heard from the question, who is Jesus, are questions that we'd be likely to hear here in Southern California as well. This idea that maybe Jesus was, was just a man, this idea that maybe he wasn't even that, maybe there's no historical background for him, that maybe some people believe that he's kind of everything good, which sounds nice, but it doesn't necessarily talk about who biblical Jesus is, that there's all these different questions, and it started off with what? It started off with the very first line was, the guy looking at the man and says, now you want to be starting something. <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, is that Jesus is polarizing. That when we say who Jesus is, and when, when people who love him and follow him proclaim who he is, when people read the Bible about who he says he is, it's, it's a polarizing conversation. That even when Jesus was here, he said that, you know, I did not come to bring peace. Yes, he is the Prince of Peace, and we'll talk about that actually in a couple of weeks. But he talked about how he comes, and he, what he does is he brings division. Because brother will be against brother, or family member against family member. That there will be houses divided, because when we have an understanding of who Jesus is, it is absolutely polarizing. We either go to the side of what they were saying for many of those answers, that, you know, he was something, maybe he was nothing, maybe he was everything, but, but we don't know exactly what or whatever it is. He's either on this polar opposite or we're on the idea that he is God, Amen. that he is mighty God. And wherever we stand between those two poles and wherever you are on your journey this morning, whether you are walking in the Lord and, and you have walked with him for decades, whether you're still trying to figure out where you are on that journey, the truth is we're probably, we're all somewhere along this, these poles, but for us, we need to ask some questions and we're going to have to get some answers from Jesus about who he is and how that impacts our lives. And so our main point for this morning is this idea that many people have questions about Jesus. But the answers are often polarizing because he's either mighty bad or mighty God. Now, I know, thanks to the four chuckles, that, that the truth is that that's really bad grammar, right? Like, it's, it's poor grammar. Like, he's mighty bad. Um, I put that in there, hopefully, because it's bad enough that it'll stick in your mind. Um, but this idea that he's either mighty bad or he's mighty God, that those are the two polar choices. And all of us no matter where we are, need to make a decision about which one we will accept. 
So I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 8, verses 48 through 59. Uh, we're going to be camping in that section. We will refer to some other verses, but we're going to be really focusing on John 8, starting in verse 48. If you have the church Bible, if you don't bring your own Bible and you have the church one, we're on page 1664. If you brought your own Bible, that's awesome. If you're using uh, your phone for the Bible app, that's awesome. We're going to be John 8, 48 through 59. And as you're turning there, like we kind of alluded to earlier, we have to go through some on your notes, some questions and answers. That this passage is, is part of a much bigger passage in which the Jews and Jesus are arguing about his claims about who the Jewish people are, who they follow, who they believe, who their um, Abraham as their ancestor, what does that mean? But also the claims about who Jesus is and what he says about himself. And so the first out of our questions and answers, the first question that the Jewish people ask that we need to wrestle with as well this morning is, isn't it right to say Jesus is wrong? Isn't it right to say Jesus is wrong? Let's dive into the scripture. It says this. The Jews answered him, aren't we, aren't we right in saying that you are Samaritan and demon-possessed? Let's take a moment to stop there just real quickly. The idea of being a, a Samaritan, as Warren Wearsby would say, is for a Jew to be called a Samaritan was the grossest of insults. And so for then him to be called a demon-possessed person on top of that only added further insult. And so they're looking at him and they're saying, listen, you... You are so wrong that you must be either from a different uh, background or, or rejected people or you must be have a demon inside of you because you are so wrong. And isn't it right for us as they're processing, isn't it right for us to say that you are so wrong? And so we see his response here in verse 49. He says, I'm not possessed by a demon, said Jesus, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I'm not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. So we look at here, and what the, the question is, yes, isn't it right to say Jesus is wrong? That the Jewish people, what, in this case, what they're saying is, how can we trust that what you're teaching is true? Because you, are, you must be wrong because what you are teaching is so drastically different than what we believe. And so they have a lot of verbiage in this John 8, 42 through 47 about who your father is. And, and they're talking about in the Jewish culture that they are literal descendants from Abraham. But Jesus is saying, but that's not the true idea. The idea is, do you follow and believe the man of faith that is Abraham? And so they go into this whole section that talks about how, well, Jesus says that, you know, you are, you are not the father. Your father is not Abraham. Your, your father is the devil because he lies and he brings confusion. And when the devil lies, when Satan lies, he speaks his native tongue. And so he goes into this whole thing about truth and lying and whose descendants they are. And so that'll unpack itself in a couple moments. But that's the context because what they're saying, isn't it right to say Jesus is wrong? Because what he's saying is crazy. And what he's saying is blasphemous, according to them. And here's why it's important for them to process if what he's saying is wrong. Because in your notes, if what he teaches isn't true, then people don't need to listen or obey. That if what he's saying is just, okay, he's crazy, he, he's clearly mistaken, he's clearly wrong, that if that's the truth, then what they're having to face right now, the decision of saying, is Jesus mighty bad or is he mighty God? That decision, they say, well, I don't, need to, I don't need to listen to what you're saying because you're wrong, so I don't need to listen or obey to your words. 
that many of us want to, and many people who don't know Jesus, we want to find reasons not to believe that he is who he says he is. We want to find reasons to say that he's wrong. Because if he's right, then that means everything about us has to change. Just how we act, how we think, how we process, how we serve, how we love, how we live. Everything has to change if Jesus is who he says he is. And we don't want to change. We like the way that we live. We like being the ones who determine what's right or wrong. We like to be in charge of our own lives. And so we're looking for reasons. Many people are looking for reasons to say, well, yeah, he's not right. Because if he was right, I know I'd have to change. That a few, probably about a decade ago, there was the, the book, The Da Vinci Code by Dan Brown came out. And, and I remember that this was a season in which people were really believing that, what Dan, that Dan Brown had really found some archaeological things, that people had really discovered, oh no, it's really true that, that Jesus was married to Mary Magdalene and, and all these things weren't accurate. And so we had a, at, our, at our, my previous church, we had Josh McDowell come and he kind of gave a, a, a message all about it on the tour there. And one of the things he would always say was, it's a story, it's fiction, but people believe it as truth. And that's the problem. It's a story, it's fiction, but people will want to believe it's true. And that's the problem. Because we are all looking for reasons to then poke holes in what Jesus said. Because again, if Jesus is who he says he is and he, what he teaches is true, we will have to change our lives and listen and obey. So today, people find it in your notes. People find it polarizing that Jesus would tell them how to live. That he talks about here that whoever obeys my word in verse 51 will never see death. He's saying you can have eternal life by obeying and following me. And it's offensive, it's polarizing, it's, it's, it's frustrating for people then and now to say, well, who are you to tell me how to live? Who are you to tell me that I have to change my life? Who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is wrong and that I'm in need of a savior? See, people will even try to question whether or not Jesus really said these things. They'll try to question whether the Bible is really accurate. But the truth of the matter is you can look into apologetics about the veracity, the historicity, and, and the legitimacy of the word of God. That we look at Homer's Iliad, which as annual, or sorry, ancient manuscripts had you know, plenty. People, no one would question whether the Iliad was really written and what it really said. Yet we have multiple times more manuscripts of the Bible than we do of Homer's Iliad. Yet that is what people want to hang their hat on and say, well, that's why I don't believe. But the truth is that you can't accept anything then. So we have this idea that people want to bring up these things that he, they didn't really say what he said. The Bible isn't really what it was. That, you know, someone says that you know, Jesus was just someone that was made up so that people could control other people. I mean, it's this idea that people want to find reasons not to change the way they live. And being face to face with Jesus eliminates the opportunity for those reasons. When we find out who he is, either mighty bad or mighty God, we must decide as a response. So Jesus' response, his answer focuses on his relationship with God and with the fact on how, sorry, and on how obeying him brings life. That he says, listen, I'm not lying. I have a relationship with God. I, he is my father, which was radically new to the Old Testament and Jewish understanding of God. But he says, I have this relationship and obeying me because I come from the father is what will bring you life. You will never taste death if you follow my words. And so this was, again, a radical thing that it may be easy for us to look back now and say, well, yeah, I mean, we have the whole story. We get it. But in that time, imagine how radical that would have been. And imagine how rankled we might be if, if we were in their shoes. 
see the perspective of the people that were having questions in, when they were in Jewish back there, they had those questions, see the same perspective as we also see this video with different perspectives of who Jesus is. Because if we were to play off what they say or, or make it playful that they think this and that or this or that, and we weren't taking it seriously, we shouldn't look at that video and hear what they say and, and chuckle because it's wrong. We should hear what they say and cry over the fact that people believe it's right. And then it's our job as those who have given our lives to God, to be witnesses, to show what is right, who is Jesus, and to point them to the Father. So the first question we have was, isn't it right to say Jesus is wrong? The second question we have is, who does Jesus think he is? Who does Jesus think he is? And before you throw your non-existent tomatoes at me because it sounds bad, let's read the passage so you know that it's not me saying this. There aren't tomatoes, just don't worry about it. Um, verse 52, at this they exclaimed, now we know that you are demon-possessed because Abraham died and so did the prophets, yet you say that whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? They ask it as an accusation and an attack and he responds with the truth. Who do you think you are? They're looking to discredit him because if he, again, if he, what he teaches is true, and if what he is claiming to be is who he truly is, then therefore the truth has even more authority, then they're going to have to change the way they believe and what, how they live. See, in their minds, it was crazy for Jesus to claim that he had the way to life. It was crazy to think that he was the only one that had the way to life. Because for them, the way of life came from the Torah, came from the law. And we see this throughout uh, the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, our Old Testament. And it talks about this idea that um, in several places. So for example, in Proverbs 13, 14, the New King James Version says that the law of the wise is a fountain of life to depart Sorry, to depart from the snares of death. So they thought, okay, following the law wholeheartedly, as impossible as that is, following the law wholeheartedly was life. That was the way to life. But we see now that people believe that there are other ways to life, that it's through having enough money to be able to buy enough security in order to have the right position and to get enough power in an organization in order to have enough glory so people look at us and think that we have it all together in order to be popular with enough people that we find relationships in which we find our identity that there are so many different ways than the Jewish culture they thought it was following the Torah in our culture it's following myriad different options that we think that our culture thinks will allow us to find eternal life, that will make us have value, that can only come from our mighty God. So we see that they talk about that. But then they also believed, in your notes, they believed that obedience to the law was the only way. And Psalm 119 says, Blessed are the undefiled in the way, who walk in the law, the Torah of the Lord. And so in the notes it says, Today people find it polarizing that Jesus is exclusive in saying that he is the only way. That it's offensive for someone to say, listen, there's only one way. And, and that's what people re, re, go against. That's what they rail against. That's what they're fighting against. But there is only one truth. And calling truth, truth isn't being exclusive. Calling truth, truth is being truthful. 
And so being able to say that there is only one way to life, that it's not that there are many roads up the same mountain to achieve some sense of enlightenment, that it's not that we take, as one of the women mentioned in the video, it's this idea of, you know, you know Jesus is not my spiritual leader, but he's a spiritual leader that I grab some ideas from. And so it's like a buffet of beliefs where you go for a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of Buddha and a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we say, okay, this is how I'm going to present my belief system. But you can't take just a little bit of Jesus and add it onto your life. Jesus is all or nothing. And he's all that matters. And so we cannot just add it onto a buffet plate of beliefs. So we talk about this, that Jesus' answer then focuses on how he'd be lying if he denied who he is. He says, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. I would be a liar like you, but I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. So Jesus is very clearly just saying, that you believe, that the Jewish people believe that Torah, the word of God, the law was truth. And so what he says, or what we see in Psalm 119 as a, as a proof of this, is that thy righteousness is an everlasting righteousness, and thy law, Torah, is the truth. But Jesus had to tell the truth because he was the truth. Because earlier in this passage, in John 8, 32, he says that I am the truth, and that the truth shall set you free. So we look at their belief system that they talk about how they believe that following the Torah was life, that they believe following the Torah was the only way, and that following the Torah was truth. So a picture in your mind that a few chapters later in John 14, 6, when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life, how radical that would have been to them. Imagine that everything you ever believed that he's saying, that's the word, we got to follow the word. And then he says, I have come not to abolish the law, abolish the Torah. I've come to fulfill it. Then John 1 talks about how the word then became flesh and was Jesus. So Jesus is not coming to eradicate what was already there. He's coming to fulfill it. And so because of that, we all have to face a decision. That the next part of your notes is that there is the trilemma, both then and now. Now, usually we don't use the word trilemma. We use the, the word dilemma because dilemma is that there are two sides to an argument. There's a problem and there are two sides, one versus the other. It's a polar opposite. There's just two. But we're going to talk about this idea of a trilemma that wasn't originated with me. It was originated with uh, a Scottish Christian preacher named Rabbi John Duncan. And we'll get to his quotation in a few moments. But before we do, we want to finish this passage in verses 57 through 59. So they said, you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen Abraham. Again, they think he's crazy. But verse 58 says, very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. At this, they picked up the stones to stone him. But Jesus hid himself, slipping away from the temple grounds. That undoubtedly, as Archibald Thomas Robertson says, undoubtedly, Here, Jesus claims eternal existence with the absolute phrase used of God. That you and I may not catch this, or we may not have always caught it, because there's still people who believe, people who write commentaries to Bibles, people who believe across uh, all cultures that believe that Jesus never claimed to be God. 
that they think that he just, you know, was a good man. And, and it's his believe, or sorry, his followers later on that put him on that pedestal of God. And so, you know, he, he, he didn't mean that. That's not what he intended. Let me be clear. When Jesus says before Abraham was, I am, there was not a shadow of a doubt that he was calling himself by the name Yahweh, calling himself by the name I am who I am from Exodus 3, 13 through 14, that there was not a shadow of a doubt that he was claiming and proving that he is God. That he didn't say before Abraham, was, before Abraham was, I was, because that would just imply that he's a very old man. Oh, I was there beforehand. I'm, I'm very old. He says before Abraham was, I am, showing his eternal existence through the name that was given to God, Yahweh, in Exodus, that he gave to the people in Exodus 3. Exodus 3, let's, let's get to the passage, says this. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. That is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. That I am, I always have been. I am currently, I always will be. That you, are, you have no understanding of how eternal God truly is. And yet we are saying that as Jesus talks about, or sorry, as Paul talks about in Colossians 1, 15 through 21-ish, that Jesus was with God, that he was the firstborn of all creation, that he, through him, all things were made. And so we see this idea that he is connecting himself with the great I am. And we know that the Jewish people understood what he was implying. We may not have caught it, but they caught it because they picked up stones to stone him immediately because they got what he was trying to say. And this signals to, to earlier on in which if you've seen, uh, or when it comes to like John chapter eight, verse 24, that earlier in this passage, earlier in this section, he says, Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am he. You will indeed die in your sins. Now in the original text, that doesn't say I am he. It just says, if you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am. We look a couple verses later, verse 28. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am and that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. That imagine he's dropping these hints earlier on that he's saying that I am and they didn't catch it yet. And so it'd be like if, if Clark Kent was trying to say who he was and he's just like, I am super man. And you're like, that doesn't, that's a very awkward, that doesn't make sense, sir. Get, clean your glasses. Um, but then... Iron Man in 2008, um, if, if you haven't seen it yet, I apologize, but it's a spoiler alert for 10 years ago, so I don't feel that bad. Uh, but this idea that at the very end, there's this part where he's sitting on a podium and he's supposed to tell a certain story about what happened and it's like a bodyguard is who it was and he's, there's a, a, a reporter who says things like, you know, are you, you know, what do you really believe us, want us to believe that was a bodyguard? And he's like, are, are you telling me that I'm Iron Man? She's like, no. She's like, oh, because that would be ridiculous and fantastic and like wait what's going on and then he looks at his notes and all of a sudden he just looks up and he says i am iron man and it goes bum, 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 and then just the whole movie ends but it's this idea that he was jesus was dropping these hints and then he just says no i am it was absolutely clear it was absolutely understood and it absolutely changed everything so we look at this that we see the trilemma. Let's go back to that earlier. The trilemma, as the Scottish Christian preacher, Rabbi John Duncan said, Christ either deceived mankind by conscious fraud 
or he was himself deluded and self-deceived, or he was divine. There is no getting out of this trilemma. It is inexorable. You may have heard something very similar from C.S. Lewis, that a common way that he put it in mere Christianity was that Jesus was either a liar, a lunatic, or Lord. And so he's saying, for our verbiage this morning, and for the last part of your notes there, is that Jesus is either a liar, but we just saw earlier on that he said, I cannot lie. Within his own integrity, he cannot lie and say he doesn't have a relationship with the Father. With his own integrity, he has to say, this is the truth because he is the truth. And with God, there's perfect integrity. So with Jesus, there's perfect integrity. So he's not a liar. So Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic. But then if you think he's a lunatic, you have to kind of step back from the fact that there is so much wisdom and guidance that someone who is a lunatic wouldn't be able to share the messages that he did and live the life that he lived. And so he can't be a lunatic. And so he's either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the mighty God. And if Jesus is either of the first two, then in the end, it doesn't really matter. Because if he's just a liar, then we don't have to believe we have to change our lives because his teachings aren't true. If he's a lunatic, then we don't have to follow him because why would you follow a lunatic on purpose? And so again, what he says and how he lived and what he did for us doesn't matter. So if it's either the first two, it doesn't matter. But if he's the third, if he's the mighty God, then it is all that matters. That's it. The question we all need to ask is, who is Jesus? Then say, if he's the mighty God, then that is all that matters. And so in a moment, I, I want us to, we started with a video, we're going to close with a video, and it's not Iron Man, but we're going to have a video in which uh, Dr. S.M. Lockridge shares an idea, and, and he has a question. That we need to either believe that many people have questions and there's, the answers are polarizing. Jesus is either mighty bad or mighty God. And what he does and what he shares is that he asks a new question. Not the opening question of who is Jesus, but the question that says, that is my mighty God. That is my Savior. That is my Lord. That is my King. And the question that he asks that I want all of us to just pray through is, I wonder... Do you know him? Let's watch this together. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduring strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He 
supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he purifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. Well, you can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your head. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Couldn't find any fault in him. Terror couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him. And the grave couldn't hold him. And I think we can all agree that Dr. S.M. Lockridge said it far better than I ever could. But here's the thing, we can add to all those names. And I love the fact that like three quarters of the way, he's like, I wish I could describe him to you. He's indescribable. After he spent all this time just finding who Jesus is and what he's done. But it's this idea that he is without a doubt, without question. He is all those things and he is mighty God. And if that is true, which it is, that is all that matters. Doesn't matter about how much money we have. Doesn't matter how big our house is. It doesn't matter what neighborhood we live in. It doesn't matter our position at our jobs. It doesn't matter if we have a job. It doesn't matter what school we go to. It doesn't matter how good our grades are. It doesn't matter anything else. If Jesus is mighty God, it's all that matters. And yes, we do our best to honor him, but we don't find our identity apart from him. And so for us, for many of you this morning, many of you, you already have a relationship with God that you've given your lives to the Lord, maybe, maybe recently, maybe for decades. And so for you, this moment reminds us that in that video we started with, that there are people across our city, across our nation, across our world that believe the different things that we see. And again, that shouldn't cause us to, to laugh because it's ridiculous. We should cry because people believe it's true. And our job is to stand up as witnesses with how we live, how we act, what we say, how we love, and in all areas that we would be pointing to our mighty God, Jesus. But for some of us in this room, 
We're on that journey. We're not sure where the polar opposite is, that maybe we he- we're here because of things that have happened and things in our lives or people that have been bad influences for us. And so we're, we're thinking that he's mighty bad, but, but maybe we want so badly to know this mighty God. And so if you are on that journey, wherever you are, if you've not given your life to the Lord yet, I wish I could say all it takes is just for you to just understand in your mind. But the truth is we have to confess it with our hearts. Confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. So in a couple moments, we're going to sing our song. The band's going to go ahead and start coming forward as I pray in just a moment. And we're going to sing a song together. And then after that song, I'm going to giving you a signal. If you've not given your life to the Lord, I'm going to give a signal that we're going to have an opportunity that you could come forward after the service to pray. And so for those of us who love Jesus, let's pray for people who don't know him yet. For those of you who might be on that journey... May you hear the Lord calling you. May you know that even before you took a breath, that he was reaching out for you. That he's the long-expected Jesus, and because of his life, death, and resurrection, we can now have life eternal. Because he's either mighty bad or mighty God, and because we know he's mighty God, that's all that matters. Jesus, we thank you for who you are, and we thank you for your love. We thank you that you are all the things we heard today and infinitely more. And God, I pray that you would just work in a powerful way. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would stir in people's hearts this morning. I pray that those that are sitting here, maybe they don't have a right relationship with you, or maybe they've fallen away from you, that they would feel their heart beating just a little bit faster, and they would see, and they would know, and that they would hear that that is you, Holy Spirit, calling and beckoning them unto you. I pray, Lord, that this time would be a time of worshipful response through song, and then in a few moments, a time of response through prayer for people who might want to get to have a right relationship with you, that maybe they wonder, do I know him? Maybe the answer is no. Lord, we pray that the answer would not be no, that it would be not yet, that today would be that day. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.